Hi again, everyone. Leviticus 16 is a little bit different. Let's, uh, let's pray for God's help as we come to it together. Let's pray. Our Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, we, we need you to speak to us if we're to live rightly in your world. And so we pray that you would do that as we look at this strange and maybe obscure for some uh, piece of your, uh, part of your word. Father, please speak. Please change us and shape us in the likeness of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Leviticus 16 is a little bit weird, a little bit random if you're sort of uh, visiting maybe, or if you're wondering, uh, if you're a regular and you're wondering what happened to 1 Corinthians, you're quite enjoying 1 Corinthians, and here we are uh, back in in Leviticus. Uh, The theme of uh, the weekend uh, that lots of uh, our church family are on uh, this weekend, uh, Revive, is the power of the cross. Uh, And so on that weekend, they're taking three different looks at uh, Old Testament passages that unpack for us uh, what what Jesus is doing, what Jesus achieves uh, as he dies on the cross. Uh, And this is one of them. Uh, So you're getting a little little revive mini. Uh, Don't know how how hard done by you feel. They're getting big name American speaker. Uh, You get Scott. Uh, I'll I'll do my best, but it is God's word. uh, And it it will speak to us uh, as we come to it. So... It, it, is, it is unusual, isn't it, Leviticus 16, all this talk of blood sacrifices, uh, of a, a scapegoat uh, sent out into the wilderness. I mean, it is very alien, very different uh, to the world we live in, even the religious world uh, that we live in. At, at best, I guess we might find it a bit strange, a bit odd, a bit quirky. Um, at worst, uh, maybe we find it offensive, particularly if you're a vegetarian. It's just... It's just a bit, all this blood and what is going on? What kind of God is it um, that asks his people to do things like this? What's the point? Um, It it may be a a strange uh, thing to us, Leviticus 16, um, but at its heart, the Day of Atonement, uh, which is what the whole chapter is about, is a a Christian uh, day, a deeply Christian day. Um, It it shows us in, in very vivid picture language what Jesus achieves on the cross, how it is that God deals with sin. And it points us forward uh, to the ultimate atonement, the ultimate day of atonement uh, when Jesus died. Um, And as we see that, as we see how it points forward, um, it will challenge us to ask a question of ourselves. That question is this, do we understand how costly it was for God to deal with our sin? Do we understand how, how costly it was for God to deal with our sin? The outcome of that, as, as we'll see, it is a great confidence in what God has done. Um, a great confidence that God has dealt with our sin, past, present, future. He has dealt with it all, forever. That's what we're gonna see as we look at this slightly obscure but wonderful uh, picture of atonement uh, in Leviticus 16. If you want to follow along, uh, there are service points on the back of your service sheet, if that would be helpful uh, to you. They'll also be on the screen. The first thing we're going to see then is, is that sin is a problem that must be dealt with. Sin is a problem that must be dealt with. Let me give us a little bit of context for uh, Leviticus. Uh, So if you know your Old Testament, the people of God, the Israelites, have just been redeemed 
from Egypt. They were slaves. God has rescued them wonderfully, miraculously, and brought them out into the wilderness. But now the big question uh, of Leviticus is, how can a holy God live with a, a sinful people? God has promised that he will live with his people. He's given them a, a big tent, the tabernacle, to symbolically uh, dwell with them. Right in the middle of the tabernacle, there's, there's a special room, the Holy of Holies, where God uh, is said to dwell uh, with Israel. But even though God has redeemed his people out of slavery, they're still a sinful people. And he is a perfectly holy God. They are so sinful that even the, the holy of holies, even the tabernacle is polluted, uh, tainted by their sin. And when a, when a sinful people come into contact with a holy God, well, it's like, a, it's like the most violent of chemical reactions. Don't know... Um, uh, how long it is since you did uh, GCSE chemistry or any sort of chemistry lesson. Uh, for, for some of us, it's longer probably than others, but that's okay. Um, back in the day, uh, I did a bit of chemistry, and in between sort of playing around with the Bunsen burners and um, throwing things around the room and uh, various other things, uh, I actually learned some science. Uh, and I, I distinctly remember one day when we were learning about alkali metals. Now, if you're a science, you'll have to excuse my sort of science 101, but uh, alkali metals are the, the ones at the end of the this end of the periodic table, and they're pretty reactive. Is that right? I'm looking for a nod from a scientist. There we go. A pharmacist down the, down the front says yes. Alkali metals, very reactive. You, 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 they have to be kept in oil because um, they react with the air. Uh, and if you put them in water, you get sort of uh, quite quite exciting reactions. Uh, if you remember, if you're sort of, I don't know, 14, 15, they, they let you sort of not do it because it's a bit dangerous, but they let you watch as the teacher does it. I I've, uh, vividly remember my teacher, Dr. Edwards. He was proper sort of mad scientist, science teacher. He had the sort of crazy, wacky hair. He didn't really care about health and safety. He was kind of lax with these things. Anyway, he was showing us um, about uh, one of these chemical reactions. I think it was um, lithium in water. I can't remember exactly which one it was. It was lithium or potassium. Um, and you, they're so reactive that you're only supposed to use very small bits, aren't you? You're supposed to like... You know, it, it comes in quite big chunks when you buy it from the science shop. Um, <laughs> but, but you're supposed to sort of cut a little bit off and, um, and plonk it in the water. Anyway, Dr. Edwards uh, wasn't that bothered about health and safety, so he had a big tank of water and his, and his big bit of potassium. And he was, you know, was going to be careful. He was going to cut a little bit off, but he was cutting it um, over, the, over the big tank of water. Um, you can see where it's going. Uh, and, you know, he sort of had it in the tongs, and he was slicing a little bit off. Anyway, he dropped the tongs, so the whole thing, big, big chunk of potassium, dropped in the water. And he proceeded to swear and dive underneath the table. <laughs> and, of course, none of us knew what was going on because we were, you know, we hadn't seen it before. And so this massive big boom. Uh, the whole uh, uh, container smashed into bits. The water poured over uh, the floor, and this big sort of plume of smoke uh, billowed up into classroom, and we thought it was great. It was the best day uh, in chemistry ever. Um, why have I gone off on one on a story about alkali metals? That, that is the, the sort of reaction that takes place as, as a holy God and a sinful people come into contact. We sort of think, oh, you know, God's, God's fluffy, he's kind, he's sort of fun. You know, he, he, he doesn't mind about sin. You know, the very presence of sin uh, before God will be consumed uh, instantly. 
Uh, we cannot stand uh, before holy God. We cannot live before holy God. God is so pure that anywhere, any hint of sin that comes near him will lead to our death. That's what happened uh, in the immediate context in Leviticus. Leviticus 10, um, Aaron, the high priest, his sons had just wandered into the tabernacle um, casually. They hadn't gone through the steps that God had, had outlined. They just thought, thought, oh, we can come, we can come before God. And they died, struck down dead straight away. The same thing, God says, will happen to anyone who comes into my presence wrongly. Look back at verse one and two of Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. If God is gonna live with a, with a holy people, with a sinful people, sin must be dealt with. I mean, he can't just ignore it. He can't just sort of sweep it under the carpet. He has got to deal with it. But because God is gracious, and God himself provides the way to deal with sin. And so in Leviticus 16, the Lord gives Moses these instructions for the day of atonement. So if sin is a problem that needs dealt with, secondly, we see in Leviticus 16, on the day of atonement, God provides a way to deal with sin. God provides a way to deal with sin. When we talk about atonement, the day of atonement, uh, one way to think of it, it's just a fancy word for God dealing with sin. Um, if sin is, is like dirt, atonement is washing it away. Um, if sin is a, a burden that we carry, then atonement is, is God removing it from us, taking our guilt away. Now, the technical term for that, if you want it, is expiation. God takes our sin from us and, and takes it away. He removes it from us. But, but sin isn't just an abstract problem that God needs to somehow take away. No, our sin rightly deserves God's anger. God is angry uh, at human sin. And so in dealing with our sin, God must also deal with his anger, his wrath against sin. That's propitiation. God not only taking our sin away, but him moving from a position of anger to one of grace and goodness towards us. So he can live with us. He takes our sin away and he deals with his anger against that sin. So the day of atonement in Leviticus 16 is the day when God deals with sin, when he carries the guilt of the people away and satisfies his anger, his just anger at sin. That's what the whole day is for. But before um, he, God can do that, before he can deal with the sin of all the people, he's got to deal with the sin of the high priest. And because even Aaron, the most holy man in the, in the people of God, even he needs atonement for his sin. Even he has sin that God needs to deal with. So that's what we get, uh, first of all, from verse three. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. And after that, we, we get this long list of instructions uh, for washing, Aaron's to wash himself for the clothes he's to put on, um, not, not the usual ornate 
um, outfit of the high priest, but very simple, uh, linen clothes. Aaron's then to take a bull and two goats uh, to be used as a sacrifice. Um, thought a little visual might help at this point. There we go, there's your little bull. Bully. Goat one and goat two. Here we are. Don't, don't get too attached to them. Uh, they're not going <laughs> to... Yeah. If you've read ahead, you know they don't, they don't last too long. Um, Aaron, Aaron is to take a, a bull, a bit bigger than this one, and two goats. What, what does he do with them? Well, once he's made atonement for his own sin, then he'll be able to cleanse the temple and atone for the other people's sin. So first he, he takes the bull and he slaughters it. I did this at um, Revive yesterday for the 11s to 14s and I had a bottle of ketchup, which sort of, at this point, sprayed everywhere. I didn't think you guys would appreciate that quite as much. So um, he, he slaughters the bull and offers it as a, as a sin offering. He takes some of its blood and he sprinkles it uh, all over uh, the altar, all over the Holy of Holies, on the, on the atonement cover, the very place where God was said to dwell with his people. And he does that seven times uh, to make sure that the, the altar is cleansed of the people's sin. He takes one of the goats, does the same thing, slaughters it, and sprinkles the blood uh, over the tabernacle. While, this is, while, while Aaron is doing this, all the people are outside. Nobody's watching this. It's just Aaron uh, in the tabernacle. Everybody else is, is watching from outside. Aaron is like the member of the bomb squad who goes in alone to defuse the explosive device while everyone else is, is safe, uh, at a safe distance. I wonder what you would have uh, thought if you had been on the outside of that tent waiting uh, everybody, everybody would have been there, the whole people of God gathered while Aaron made atonement in the temple. I guess you'd be, you'd be pretty nervous. Uh, will, will Aaron come out? If he doesn't come out, who's going to go in and get him? Will it, will it work? Will Aaron make atonement for our sin? Will God accept the sacrifice? But then Aaron would emerge he had survived. God had accepted his sacrifice and, and had cleansed uh, him of his sin and the tabernacle, but, but we're not done yet. Aaron is, has atonement made for him. The temple, the tabernacle, is cleansed of the people's sin, but the sinful people, they're gone. The sinful people uh, still need atonement. That's where the second goat comes in. This is the goat that will make atonement for the people. It's the scapegoat. And it's where we get our, our phrase from, a word that we use when, when someone else uh, takes the blame for something that we have done, a scapegoat. Let me read uh, about the role of the scapegoat back in verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat, he is to place both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins 
to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. See, this one goat, the, the scapegoat, it symbolically takes on all the sin of the people. It's taken out into the wilderness and left there to die as a sign of God's justice, God's punishment on the sin of the people. And if the, if the, taber- if the bit within the tabernacle, the first bit that Aaron had done was, was hidden from people's view, well, this part is, is clear for all to see. And imagine, imagine you were in that crowd as Aaron places his hands on the goat's head and, and confesses your sin over its head. As that goat is, is led away in the care of someone responsible. Who's, who's responsible? Chris. Do you want um, to carry that, carry that to the back for us, carry it away? Reverently, Chris, come on. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal. As that goat is is taken away with your sin on its head further and further uh, out into the wilderness till you can't see it anymore, till it's it's gone. Wonder how you you might have felt uh, watching that. Thanks, Chris. You can come back and sit down if you want. No, you're at the back now. Wonder how you would have have felt uh, watching that goat uh, walked out of the city, walked out into the wilderness to die. I guess you might have felt some relief. Maybe some uncertainty. Does this really deal with my sin? I guess you might have felt a slight awkwardness. Feel, feel a bit uncomfortable uh, about that, that goat symbolically carrying my sin. I guess you might not have liked the idea of, uh, of the poor goat uh, dying in your place. But it is necessary, it was necessary for you. Either the goat carries your sin out into the wilderness, or you carry it. Either the goat dies out in the wilderness, or you do. Because God must deal with the people's sin. So as you watch that uh, that goat head out into the wilderness for one more year, Uh, your sin has been dealt with. But it it would need to happen uh, all over again the next year. It's a bit like Christmas. It would just come around year after year. There'd be another day of atonement and another and another. See, if the Israelites, if their sort of account, as it were, was wiped clean and their debt was paid on the day of atonement, well, right from that very day, their debt of sin would start mounting up again, even as they headed home uh, from watching uh, the goat, they would sin again. Their debt would begin to increase every day, each day, day after day, year after year. This year, next year, the year after that, you would need the day of atonement. See, the day of atonement, it, it gives people some assurance, some confidence that God had dealt with their sin. But it, it couldn't give them full confidence, could it? Because what if I miss the day of atonement next year? What if the Lord comes before I've had my sin dealt with? 
How is it that, that a goat taken out into the wilderness can satisfy God's anger at my sin? They'd have some confidence as they experience their atonement, but they wouldn't have full confidence. And so to us, what, what, what a someday um, instituted thousands of years ago uh, that, that some people out in the desert did. What has that got to do with you and with me? Well, as we've already said, the Day of Atonement is, is a little picture, a little picture for us of what Jesus achieves on the cross. Only the cross is, is a much bigger, much better Day of Atonement. Our third and final point, if you're following on the service sheet, is at the cross, God provides the perfect sacrifice to deal with sin. At the cross, God provides the perfect sacrifice to deal with sin. In, um, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews uh, talks a lot in this sort of language, using the language from, from this day. Um, if you just want to flick uh, in your Bibles to, to Hebrews 9, that would be quite helpful. Right towards the back. Hebrews 9, it's on page 1206. See, Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus is the high priest. Aaron was a high priest, but Jesus is the high priest who offers his life uh, to deal with our sin. Let's follow it through. Why is it that the cross is a bigger and better day of atonement? Well, it is firstly that it, it's not with animals that God atones for our sin, but with the blood of his son. See, forget about the cuddly bulls and the goats, even the real life bulls and goats. At the cross, God gave the most precious thing that he had to deal with your sin. Here's what Hebrews 9 uh, from verse 11 says. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own son. The cross is better than the day of atonement because Jesus didn't have to make atonement for himself, but for others. See, the perfect high priest, Jesus, doesn't need to make atonement for all his sin. While Aaron had to cleanse himself and make sacrifices because he was a sinner, Jesus didn't need to do any of that. He was the perfect, uh, obedient son of God. He had always obeyed his father. Look down at uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 7, actually. Just flick back a page. Hebrews 7. Sorry, it's on the same page. Hebrews 7 and verse 26. Still on 12.06. Such a high priest, talking about Jesus, truly meets our need one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for the sins once for all, for their sins once for all, when he offered himself. Crosses is a bigger and better day of atonement because it's not yearly, repeated again and again, but it is a once for all sacrifice. The day of atonement needed repeating because there was always more sin uh, to be dealt with. The cross deals with it once and for all. Hebrews 9, verse 25 and 26. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Remember he said, for the Israelites, their debt of sin was like an account adding up all the year round, every year, until the day of atonement. Well, for Christians, there is no equivalent. We do not carry around at the debt of our sin waiting for the day of atonement. No, if we're trusting in Jesus' death for us, the cross deals with our sin once and for all. And the sins we did in the past, the sins we will do today, and the sins we will do tomorrow and each day. Jesus at the cross has dealt with all of them, past and future. His once for all sacrifice guarantees an eternal redemption. His sacrifice is so much more costly, but of infinitely more value than those of the Day of Atonement. And so, as we see how the cross is the bigger and better Day of Atonement, there is not fear, but assurance. If the people then could have some assurance that God had dealt with their sin through the Day of Atonement, we can have an even greater confidence, total confidence, that God has dealt with our sin, has dealt with his rightful anger at our sin. Look at down at Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? See, we can have total confidence that our consciences have been cleansed. We don't carry around the guilt of our sin if we're trusting in Christ. What, what impact? Uh, we've kind of raced through uh, Leviticus 16, uh, seen how the cross is a bigger and better day of atonement. What impact uh, should that have on us? I think firstly, it is, a, it is a warning to the complacent. What's that? What, what is the warning? Well, I think it is, don't think that your sin is not a problem. Don't think that your sin is something small and insignificant. No, your sin and mine is, is a serious problem. It is a thing that needs dealt with. It is a thing that is difficult, requires sacrifice to deal with. Some of us uh, 
probably are, are all too casual about sin. And we sort of shrug our shoulders and say, hey, that's, that's just the way I am. And I've always been like that. It's, it's no big deal. Hey, nobody's perfect. Yeah, maybe, but as the Day of Atonement points us to the cross, we see what it took for God to deal with our sin. So don't, don't be casual. Don't be complacent uh, about sin. But this, this wonderful passage, this wonderful picture of the cross is also uh, a reminder uh, to those of us who are jaded. Maybe, maybe we've been a Christian uh, for many years um, and the truths of the gospel are, are deeply familiar to you. Well, a picture like this one um, in Leviticus 16, strange as it is, a picture like that, well, it gives us a different angle um, on the glory of the cross. Shows us what Christ did, what Christ achieved for us uh, there. Dealing with our sin cost God the most precious thing that he had. That is the depth of his love for us. That is the length that he would go to ensure that you are not consumed by his holiness. That is the price that he would pay to welcome you into his family and to give you an eternal glory with him. So if, if the gospel has just become old news uh, to you, let, let the different picture of Leviticus 16 warm your heart again uh, with joy at all that Christ has achieved for you. Leviticus 16, it is a warning uh, to the complacent. It's a reminder to the jaded. Finally, it is a, a wonder to the guilty. However deep um, sin runs, however devastating sin's consequences, um, nobody's sin is greater than God's ability to deal with it. Nobody's sin is greater than God's ability to deal with it. Jesus' sacrifice is more than enough to deal with all of your sin, all of it, forever. I guess it's easy, isn't it, if you've been a Christian for a while, to doubt, um, to, to doubt that God really has dealt with your sin. But if God, you know, if God really knew that about me, if God really knows, knew how I still battle uh, with sin, well, he does know, and he has dealt with it. And so that should give us a, a wonderful confidence. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. There is no more atonement uh, to be done. We do not work out, uh, work for our atonement. We do not carry around a burden of guilt uh, for the sin that we have committed. The guy up front is no longer a priest who makes sacrifice for sin. The guy at the front is a messenger who proclaims a message of atonement, who proclaims a message of Christ crucified and all that that achieves for us. So if you're here and you're, and you're trusting in Jesus, then Jesus has dealt uh, with your sin. He has carried your guilt away like the goat carrying it into the wilderness. He has born God's wrath at your sin. There is no guilt for you to carry. There is no anger 
for you to face. That is what the wonderful picture of Leviticus 16 teaches us about the cross. Shall we pray together? Father, it is a, a strange and an alien picture to us in many ways, but Father, as we've seen anything of its glory this morning, we praise you that you have dealt with our sin once for all on the cross. We praise you that there is no need for repeated days of atonement anymore. We praise you that Jesus is our perfect high priest who offered himself, who offered his blood to deal with our sin, to carry our guilt away so that we bear it no longer, to, to bear your wrath, your right anger at our sin. Father, we, we pray that if, if we have become complacent, you would use this reminder to wake us up to the reality of sin, but also to the glory of atonement made on the cross. Father, please would each of us marvel more and more at the glory of it, And would we live out confident in your atonement for us, that we do not bear our guilt, we will not face your anger if we are trusting in Christ. Father, please, would we live that reality in Jesus' name. Amen.